This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition and I'm Sharad Kutin. Now, just a couple of days ago, there was an article in Malaysia Kini titled Locals Lament Loss of Livelihood Due to Malacca Land Reclamation. Now, this story put a spotlight on developments down south in Malacca that, in fact, BFM and other media have been covering for many years. The crux of the story, well, let's put it simply... Locals in the Portuguese settlement of Malacca are suffering from a loss of livelihood, cultural traditions, which include significant declines in fisherfolk populations due to nearby land reclamation, reclamation projects. On the other hand, however, there is, mm, let's put it this way, the state government wants an economic game changer. And for years they've tried uh, with really big projects and the Malacca Gateway was what was going to be that game changer. Now, before we get into this conversation about the cultural impact of coastal development in Malacca, uh, let's give you a bit of a, a sense of what the Malacca Gateway program or initiative, idea, vision was. So it started in 2014 as a mega project uh, that would include three reclaimed islands uh, and all kinds of part, moving parts in it. It aimed to create about 40,000 jobs, uh, attract millions of tourists and bring in foreign investment. It had the involvement of large China-owned companies, uh, which were broadly kind of put under the China's uh, Belt and Road Initiative uh, kind of global expansion program. But, you know, that aside, this uh, this rather grandiose notion um, came kind of to an end. And there are a lot of kind of re- legal wranglings that happened. We won't get into that. What's important is now it's been rebranded uh, as Malacca's economic waterfront zone. And the only thing to remain out of the many projects that were going to be kind of parked under the Malacca Gateway Initiative is the Malacca International Cruise Terminal, which makes it a very important uh, point. It's also, oh, just to note, it's also become a wholly Malaysian venture with the Sultan of Johor, now the Agong, as a major shareholder. Now, the government is banking, um, and of course the lead project lead is banking on Malacca's UNESCO heritage, um, as well as a recently announced collaboration with something called the Global Ports PLC, that together hope to bring in about 7 million tourists. Now, that's a number that's been bandied about. There are actually other numbers as well. But let's, let me give you a bit of a comparison, right, in terms of the ambitions versus reality. Singapore's cruise ship passenger numbers were about 1.8 million before the pandemic. It now hovers around 1.2 million. Penang gets half a million, and that's with a mature tourism sector in Georgetown. Question is, can Malacca do better, much better than both Singapore and Penang? Big question. Um, The question also is, if the project negatively impacts the vibrant cultures that have emerged from the coastal ecologies of Malacca, what will they be left to showcase to the millions of tourists expected to come? Now, that's a question maybe for economists and and developmental uh, economists who are looking at the question of growth and such. But today we're going to be focused on the cultural and historical 
uh, cost of such a project. And we'll be speaking to Michael Singho. He's president of the Malacca Portuguese Eurasian Association. But of course, we want you to be part of this conversation. Tell us, how much of our history and culture should we sacrifice for concerns about economic growth and jobs? You can call 7733-2900. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Bombing Frustrated Minds, BFM 89.9. It's coming up to 5.14. Uh, this is the evening edition. I'm Sharad Kutin. We're looking uh, down south today, uh, looking to Malacca and coastal developments there. A uh, major project that started in 2014, put on hold and now revived. What will it be? What will its cultural and uh, sort of social impact be? That's the question we're putting to our guests coming on very shortly. But remember, we want you to be part of this conversation too. Tell us, uh, how much of our history and our culture should we sacrifice for concerns about economic growth and jobs? You can call 7733-2900, WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us today, we have Michael Singel. Uh, he's president of the Malacca Portuguese Eurasian Association. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. Thank you for, for inviting me. Well, it's our pleasure, Michael. I want to begin with the fact that you are, in fact, of Portuguese descent yourself. Perhaps you could, we could start off this conversation with a brief history of the Portuguese community um, and the, the settlements that, that arose from that. Okay, the Portuguese community of Malacca, or Malaysia, emerged after the arrival of the Portuguese in Malacca. So we are the scions of the Portuguese, uh, early Portuguese uh, visitors and the local people, mostly Malay. So from that, uh, a new uh, sort of community emerged and we call ourselves the Malacca Portuguese, or colloquially, it's called Kristang, the Kristang people of Malacca. And then uh, we were all over in Malacca, scattered here and there, but mostly uh, centered around the city area, around the, when the fortalezza or the fort was still there, we are more or less enclosed within the, the, the walls of the fort. So uh, after the, the uh, Malacca fell to the Dutch, then uh, we were scattered and some of us went underground because we were persecuted by the Dutch who were Protestants and we were Catholics. And uh, some of us uh, went away to, to other, other places. Some went to Macau. Uh, some uh, were allowed to go to, back to Portugal, but many stayed back. And some were sent to Indonesia, to Batavia or Jakarta as prisoners, as slaves. To serve the to serve the Dutch uh, Dutch government over there, and uh, from that community we have the the the, the community in in, uh, in Indonesia, uh, called the uh, what call it the, the Eurasian community, and more centered around uh, certain areas in, in in Jakarta. So anyway, here in in, in Malacca we we uh, were scattered uh, throughout the state, mostly throughout the the city areas, and but in um, in Trinkera, in Banahile, in Badakaba, and certain areas. But it was scattered. But in in 1920s, late 1920s, there was a proposal by two priests, for the, uh, two, two Portuguese, one Portuguese and one, one French priest, to get a concentration for us to live in the village, where we would not be scattered. And this way, we could keep our culture and our customs and traditions and our identity still intact. So a proposal was made 
to the British government to set up the Portuguese settlement. Yeah, and so it, with preparations from the 1920s, eventually in 1930, that's when the the the, the place was beginning to take form with the earth thrown into the, 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 the swamp area that was given to us. And from there, houses were beginning to build with two or three in the beginning. So since 1930 to now where we are now, in 2024, we are close to reaching a 100-year uh, existence of our Portuguese settlement in Malacca. So it's grown from the the earlier uh, call it collection of sort of huts and, 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 and active houses to what we have now. So that's where we are here in concentration to still help keep our identity, our culture, and our existence uh, alive and relevant. You know, that's fascinating because that's, uh, uh, I guess, a, um, a history that stretches back to the 16th century at Malacca Falls in 1511, doesn't it? Um, yes. It's, it's a fascinating 400 years, uh, dispersed, but nevertheless, uh, the, a continuity in terms of identity. So, right. yeah, thanks for laying that out for us, because I think it's very important in this conversation to know that, you know, what is actually at stake, right, this 400-year history. Could you help us now understand, uh, in terms of the kind of projects, uh, coastal development projects that have been uh, proposed and have been acted on, what have been their impact on the livelihoods of the people of the community, particularly those involved in fishing or other kind of coastal de de dependent activities? The effect on the lives of the our fishermen is massive, massive, and they have lost good amount of the earnings or their ability to earn. They've lost their their, their fishing areas. They are interrupted in their fishing due to the activities of reclamation, and that was given the, the activities of reclamation were given priority over them in trying to earn. A, they're living, you see, so they have, have massive, massive problems in their lives. Right. Has the, the commission says. Right, Michael, has the community organized itself uh, in any way to protect its traditions and way of life? Well, we, we, it's what we have, our resources, resources are very limited, you see, because we are sort of um, uh, caught in a situation where, where we are unable to, to try to find ways to, and means to, to protect ourselves or our heritage, because our heritage, our cultural heritage, this, uh, needs the nourishment of the uh, coastal environment to keep it alive, you know, to keep it sustained. Because it, it is the spirit that keeps us going, it nourishes our spirits, our temperament, and, and our elements that keep the, 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 the cultural heritage alive. So, but we are unable to sort of uh, counter this because we have, we have got very limited resources. We are actually at the mercy, in fact, and the government is not doing much either. You're right. Um, okay, let's let's kind of iterate for um, for those who don't know about the kind of environmental impact that uh, has uh, you know been seen in that area because uh, it's well documented. Could you help us understand what's happened to the local marine environment uh, and what kind of damage you expect to happen in the future? Okay, to start with, when they had this Pulau Melaka project, uh, it had its own problems creeping, like the desiltation problem, uh, the clogging and the pollution and all that, you see? So it was there already. And it was giving warning signals to, uh, to those who developers 
who had plans for the area. So because of that, in the 1997 uh, macro EIA report, it was stated very clearly certain rules to avoid this from happening. For example, the clogging up, the siltation, the destruction of the environment and such. So one of the, one of the, one, uh, the important terms in that EIA report was when uh, island, uh, island reclamation faces the area opposite the Portuguese settlement, there has to be 750 meters away from the coastline. In that way, you give enough space for a proper waterway to take, take uh, to uh, to I mean exist and to continue, eh? and that waterway will be clean enough and can sustain marine life, and uh, fishermen will be able to go to uh, fish, and the the environment or the ambience of the sea will still remain nourishing the Portuguese uh, community and the settlement itself. So that was why they put the particular uh, uh, rule 750 meters away from the Portuguese settlement. But for the, uh, the other parts of the coastline, then it is reduced to 500 meters away from the coastline. That, that the rules that was set in the EIA report of 1997. It was a macro EIA report. Yeah, so can I ask you this? Because you have raised concerns about the project relying on outdated uh, environmental reports. Uh, now there's a new report, isn't there, that was released uh, just this year. Do you feel that it adequately addresses the community's environmental and health concerns? Well, to begin with, the developer used the EIA report as a license for them to, to start work comments on the reclamation works. They were referring to that report for them to commence and that's why they had to go ahead from the government to commence, which I think is wrong, because they were not part of the concessionaries of 19, 19 uh, call it, uh, parties in the reclamation uh, call it, uh, uh, call it, uh, uh, proposals that they were given at that time. But they use it to start their, their work. So that means the damage has already been done because they used it earlier, the earlier EI report. So the new EI report, I think, if I'm not mistaken, has more... Uh, uh, they more, gave more attention to the present portion of the uh, Malacca Gateway project. That is the cruise terminal. I think they were more or less uh, covering that portion of the, the project, not uh, the overall. But in our case, we are affected by the reclamation overall. See? Right. That's why. You know, the Malaysia Kini piece did mention Udang. Karagu, is it? And uh, it's used in, uh, famously, I guess, in the Chinchalo sauce. Is it really under threat? Of course. It has been under threat since uh, the early years of reclamation of Manajay. Because of that, because of change in the contours of the, of the, of the uh, coast and also change in the uh, landscape and stuff, stuff like that, the, the uh, Grago or the, uh, what do you call it, uh, there's a special word for it, uh, yes, the small uh, small shrimps, they sort of had their environment uh, destroyed and they avoided our place since 19, the 1980s. So they'll come occasionally off and on, but very rare. But now it's totally gone because they've changed, drastically changed the whole stretch of the coast with this reclamation issue. Michael, for people who don't understand, you know, I mean, cuisine and things, maybe they will just shrug it off and say it's a small thing. I mean, for you, are these, the loss of these elements in the life of the people of the community significant? How would you kind of 
communicate the significance of it? Well, they might say it's, it's small or not, not that, uh, not effect the rest of the people, but might remember the, the creation of the, of the Sinchalo and the Balachan was from our people, the Portuguese themselves. They brought that method and that call it, um, industry to these parts of the world. And they used whatever they had to create all these things. Right? And Bachan is very important in all our, our cuisine, whether you are you're Malay, you're Portuguese, or maybe Indian or Chinese, you should be with Bachan. So it's important, it reflects everybody. So if it, our kind of Bachan is different from the rest. Ours is made in a very special manner, and, and, and the smell, the aroma is, is, not, uh, is quite. Quite uh, distinctive. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's not, it's not smelly at all. It's, it's, it's nice, actually. Yeah, right? I, it's wonderful. I, I, I'm a big fan. I do want to ask you, though, because the ferry terminal, uh, you know, uh, aspires to bring millions of tourists to Malacca, Malacca itself must give something to these millions of tourists. And, you know, the unique culture and history of that place is what is going to be touted. But if this project, Michael, impacts precisely the communities like the Portuguese settlement, uh, what would be left to showcase for tourists? And what do you think is going to happen? That's the thing that's, 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 uh, that's really uh, worrying. Because by doing this, then in fact, as far as we are concerned, Killing the goose that lays the golden eggs. You know, you bring something here, but you are at the same time killing those that could provide the real thing, the real stuff, not a theme park. Then what sense does it make? And how is it going to benefit us actually when it's going to actually curtail us or suffocate us? Our culture, our culture, our, uh, our cultural elements depends on the sea and its environment to nourish it, you know? All the while, because you are the people that live by the sea, even from the old, old land in Portugal. We came from this area that started by the sea, came by the sea to this part of the world, and we always lived by the sea. The sea holds our spirits, in a way, you know? So when, when that is gone, and when that condition is gone, and when that is nourishing environment is gone, so what is there left? We ourselves might even not treasure that place anymore, you know? So this thing, when they do, they have to do it very, very responsibly and just consider our grounds, our interests. And I put forward many times that what our interests should be. They should sustain whatever they can of the sea in front of us and let this, whatever is left of the sea be clean, you know, be, 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 be unpolluted. And the, and the situation should not be, happen like what is happening now. There's more mud and there's water nowadays, you know. And the mud can't go up because why? The Melaka Gateway is adjoined to Pulau Melaka, which is wrong. There should be a separating channel between Pulau Melaka and Melaka Gateway to allow the flow of, of the currents and the tides. But they're joined, making the situation even worse. So what was plaguing the, the uh, Pulau Melaka uh, uh, situation was extended to the Melaka Gateway. And now the Portuguese settlement suffers the brunt of it. The pollution, the siltation, the, 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 the smell, you know, the, the loss of tidal movements, the loss of catch, the, 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 the blockage of, of the fishermen from going to sea and doing their work and doing some money. Then they're not millionaires, they're struggling to, to feed their families. But all this has not been considered because why of this big mega, mega call it, uh, development, which has failed. The Pulam Laka is a failure. It's a ghost town, in a way. The Melaka Gateway is 
is a failure in most of it. Only the criminal is giving the best of life. So whatever they have done, whatever harm they have done, they have to undo it. They have to correct it so that we could actually ease up and do not feel that kind of impact so much. That's my, my concern and request. Thank you so much, Michael, for sharing your concerns. Like you, I don't think Malaysia needs another theme park. That was Michael Singho, president of the Malacca Portuguese Eurasian Association, uh, telling us about how uh, the... Well, the developments down south on the coast of Malacca is impacting culture and history in significant ways. Remember, you can join this conversation uh, by telling us what do you feel about history and culture being sacrificed for the concerns over economic growth and jobs. You can call us, you can WhatsApp us, or you can tweet us at BFM Radio. Bombing frustrated minds. BFM 89.9. It's 5.48. You're listening to Evening Edition. I'm Sharad Kutin. We've been talking about several things. Uh, earlier, we spoke about the developments down in Malacca, uh, coastal developments that are impacting historical communities. Communities, Some communities are about 400 years old. In particular, we're looking at the Portuguese Eurasian community at the Portuguese settlement, and we spoke to one of its representatives there about what uh, the environmental damage uh, has already been done and what environmental damage is expected to come as a result of the continuation of the projects there. Now, uh, we want to know what you think. You can tell us uh, uh, what you, if you think history and culture should be sacrificed when it comes to economic growth and jobs. You can call 7733-2900. You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We do, in fact, have uh, this voice note from Johnny. Hello, BFM. I'm from Malacca and I'm raised from Malacca during my younger days before the project starts. The Portuguese settlement has a beautiful coastal with many fishers and march keeper. When the project starts, the coastal has been filled with mud and badly polluted with stinky smell. The projects are merely white elephants and whitewash. I'm very surprised the project is started again whenever there's a new change of local governments or a new change of chief minister. I am really dumbfounded. Thank you. Thanks, Johnny. Um, you know, your concerns, uh, you know, I kind of shared, but I think a lot of people are activists there, but also just the local community as to why this project has been started. I do think, Johnny, you know, there is an impulse among politicians to announce big projects that, because along with the big projects come big numbers, right? So if you looked at the initial Malacca Gateway project, it, the expected uh, you know, job generation was something like of in the order of 44,000, I think it was promised. They, they talked about millions of tourists coming to the country via these cruise ships. Uh, the port, I believe, that is the one thing that stands from the original project project uh, is has a capacity for 7 million passengers now that annually and that is quite astounding astounding when you compare it to what we have nearby so you know cruise ships stop in singapore uh, just before the pandemic uh, johnny you know the numbers were about 1.8 million that was what cruise ship passenger numbers uh, disembarking
thinking in Singapore was about 1.8 million. When you think of the kind of mature economy, sorry, cultural products that Singapore offers, right, tourism products that it offers, they could get about 1.8 million. Penang gets um, 500,000, which is substantially less than the 7 million that the chief minister of Malacca recently announced. In fact, the numbers that he um, uh, were quoted in a in a press conference suggest even more. Right, he was talking about 15 million, and so so it's it's interesting the impulse that politicians have to announce mega projects rather than think of. And I think they they might be genuinely concerned about uh, job generation, uh, but what can be done that is in fact sustainable and actually good for the community beyond just those numbers. That's very hard to tell. Now we have um, a message here from Anon. It says, the land reclamation in Kota Kinabalu's coastal fishing village was uh, also a victim of development just like the Portuguese settlement. The fishing folk uh, were relocated inland to the mid-hill slopes of Mount Kinabalu. Imagine a fisherman trying to eke out a living in the middle of the jungle. Up north, the Penang reclamation uh, project may also be taking the livelihood of fisher folks. Similarly, KL or PJ folks who can no longer afford the high property prices would be forced to move out of KL, but would not be able to eke out a decent living in the rural areas because their skills are meant for urban areas. Development planning, whether for the urban or rural areas, have been grossly underrated, destroying livelihoods, culture, and making development meaningless. Anon, I, I share your, I presume, anger at, and frustration at the way in which uh, people and populations, communities are moved around, presumably for their in their own interests, uh, to, uh, but you know, with with very little attention to what actually is available in that community. I mean. Thank you very much for alerting us to, uh, you know, what's happening in Kota Kinabalu. I, it does seem extraordinary that fisher folk were relocated inland, uh, you know, uh, in as a kind of solution to the problem of the community with that coastal development. So, yes, um, you know, development planning doesn't seem to be particularly... Uh, what is the word? Sophisticated or, you know, even adequate when it comes to uh, these projects, right? It does seem like uh, something is not working here. Um, remember, you can always join this conversation. We've been talking about, uh, you know, um, uh, the Malacca Gateway Project, rebranded recently. It's ongoing. It's going to be one major cruise liner terminal, I believe, It's what's happening. Uh, impact on this on that society in the societies or in the surrounding area have already been felt uh, over the years with reclamation and there's going to be exacerbated by the continuance of this project tell us how much of our history and culture would or should be sacrificed for concerns over economic growth and jobs you can join this conversation you can tweet us or you can text us you can send us um, a whatsapp message uh, keep it here bfm 89.9 You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.